Hello and welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details podcast. I am your host, Sarah, and I've got Darcy with me. Darcy, tell the listeners how you're doing. Um, I am doing okay. Um, wow, that doesn't sound too good. Well, yeah, it's just kind of a sad, sad day around Birmingham. Um, there was a shooting yesterday at a church in Vestavia Hills, oh, no. and that is actually the town I grew up in. That's awful. Yeah, so I just kind of wanted to talk about that. Um, so it was at a Episcopal church at a potluck dinner for, they called it the boomers potluck. So it was like the baby boomer generation, like their like parents, grandparents. Um, they were having a potluck there and a man came in and sat by himself and people were inviting him to join their small groups and everything like that. And he did not... Um, want to join and then he pulled out a handgun thankfully it was just a pistol yeah um, and he shot three people and three people died oh my god that's um, awful yeah so yeah um, so I just kind of wanted to talk about that the 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 victims are Walter Bart Rainey Sarah Yeager and Jane Pounds um, the suspect, Robert Finley Smith, is 70 years old. The victims are 84, 75, and 84. Gosh, 70 years old is a little bit old for a, a mass shooter. Yeah, and they don't know a motive yet. They don't know if he was somebody that was involved with the church. I think he had been one or two times before, but he clearly didn't He wasn't a member. interact yeah. with people. Um, Interesting. Yeah, so... Um, so that's going on. So they, another um, church attendant hit him with a chair, hit the shooter with a chair, and was able to wrestle the gun away from him before he um, could shoot more people, thankfully. And he is now in custody. With He's facing capital murder charges. But there's not really an explanation for it. And it's just one of those things where you hear about this stuff happening in the news all the time, and then you think this is awful and then it happens in your literal hometown and kind of don't know what to do about it but so I just wanted to kind of talk about that briefly and then um offer there is a community grief support center in Birmingham if you or anyone you know has been affected by the shooting or any loss um you can contact them they offer free grief counseling um, you can go to their website at communitygriefsupport.org, and we'll put that in the show notes wow. um, for you guys, too. But I just wanted to mention that because it seems pertinent in the Birmingham area right yeah. now. Condolences to the families of those people that lost their lives in that. That is just tragic and awful. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of tragic and awful, I mean, not that we can compare, uh, but there was an update I wanted to talk about in the Leslie Newlander case that we talked about mm-hmm. April 12th, 2020 was when we released the episode. It's episode number 72. Um, and we didn't cover this, and this is my fault completely. I had It slipped my mind, but I guess we spoke about updates in this case a few months back because Bob Newlander, a.k.a. Robert, Dr. Robert Newlander, won a new trial And part of that was based upon jury misconduct. And if you recall from our earlier conversation, there was a juror that got like 7,000 texts about the case while she was being impaneled on the jury. 
and the court decided that, that was enough grounds to grant a new trial for Robert Newlander um, for the murder of his wife. And that trial was set and happened, um, and he was found guilty yet again and got 20 years to life um, the second time around. The only real difference is, is the second trial, his daughter did not testify and did not really participate at all, that it was not clear whether mm -hmm. she is no longer supportive of her father or whether the um, attorney for Bob Newlander really just decided that she's her testimony would be detrimental to the case. And it was determined by some members of um, legal study groups and scholarly individuals that her testimony had been detrimental to her father. Uh, because she had been mm -hmm. the one that called 911 and said, you know, I saw blood everywhere and he claimed that he had found her come home from a run and found her on the bathroom in the shower. She had slipped and fallen and hit her head in the shower. Right. And um, evidently there was blood everywhere in the bedroom, in the bathroom. And the daughter was like, daddy, there's blood everywhere. But then she testified later that she only saw blood in the bathroom and there was some kind of the way she had testified was determined that it was detrimental to his mm. case. And so he had been found guilty the first time around. The jury had gone out and been impaneled for four days before they came back with that verdict. But in the second case, there was a little bit of new evidence. Uh, they had gone back and looked at the headboard for a second time and found brain matter on the headboard. Ooh. And blood um, in certain areas where there should not have been blood. I know that we spoke about the blood everywhere in the first case around and how on the first time around and how Bob had said that he, he was giving CPR and his shirt was all bloody and he'd taken the shirt off and there was some blood splatter because he'd thrown his shirt. But there was some issue with the sheets as well. The sheets were fresh and new and everything seemed like it had been cleaned up when there should have been blood spatter on the mug sitting next to the bed and a number of other things. But the right. the biggest piece was the brain matter that they yeah. found on the headboard should not have been there because in no part of his testimony or his daughter's did he ever say he put Leslie Newlander on the bed after her injury. So there's no reason why there should have been blood or brain matter on the bed or the headboard unless yeah. she had been killed there and removed later to make it staged to make it look like she had right. passed away somewhere else and yeah. etc. So that was sort of insurmountable. The jury was impaneled and, and pretty much considered this for about four hours before they came back with a guilty verdict for the second time around. His, uh, his attorney team says they're going to appeal it. Of course, they always right. do. Um, and, and, you know, that's his right, but he's back in jail again. Thank goodness. I really feel firmly that the evidence was stacked up against him. There were many, mm -hmm. many people in this case that said his wife was looking for a divorce and he was very upset about that, that they'd been married for a long period of time. And she had indicated to several individuals that he had become very angry with her in confrontations surrounding the divorce. And he just lost it and yeah. ended up killing her. And now he's convicted yet again. So that was an interesting little update in the case. I wanted to make sure we spoke about it and didn't forget it because I had mentioned I was going to cover the update. That happened a few months back. I apologize. My bad for missing it. Um, but that was the update in that case. Good and deal. again, if you want to hear more details about the Leslie Newlander uh, story, you can go check out episode number 72 from April 12th, 2020. Now I kind of want to switch gears just to scotch and talk about our friends from Magic Mind. Yeah, I got my new Magic Minds this week. It is tasty. It is. Uh, it's really good. But in large part, Darcy and I both love this product because... 
Both of us have energy problems. Both of us have uh, trouble maintaining that consistent energy throughout the day. And like for different reasons. <laughs> right? So like I'm like a, a caffeine addict, but I don't drink coffee. And I need like my chai tea and different things with caffeine in it throughout the day to keep my energy levels normal. And yeah. I work very hard and I work a lot. And so having the ability to, to work eight hours at a normal job, reviewing contracts, negotiating, talking with people, having meetings all day. And then after I get done with that, I do podcasting and writing and all kinds of other things. And to be able to do that, I've got to have a steady energy source. And Magic Mind is really awesome for that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've said it before. I deal with chronic insomnia since I was 18. I'm now 37. That is longer of having insomnia than not having insomnia Yeah. Um, at this point, which is great. And then I decided I was going to go get a PhD. So then that, you know, then you needed stress, even more caffeine, stress <laughs> and caffeine and lack of sleep and all of those good things that go along with getting a PhD. Um, mean, I'm putting away a lot of coffee and I have been for the past five years and I need to kind of start breaking away from that. And this is something that it tastes really good. I like the ingredients. The ingredients it are is natural. Such a healthy alternative. Yeah, and it really does help me. What, it, tell it us, really talk does. about and the ingredients. Why don't you yeah. cover off on that? Um, so yeah, so there's L-theanine, which is when paired with caffeine, it kind of it acts like another boost for your focus and attention. Which I know for you, like reading contracts all day is not the most interesting thing. So no. like <laughs> definitely focus and attention on that. Um, Bacopa monieri is natural. It helps with procrastination. They say it's like a natural Adderall. Um, and it also helps with your stress and cortisol levels. We've all seen the commercials for the cortisol. The more stress you carry, the more cortisol in your, in your blood system. And that means that you um, have a harder time losing weight, slows down your metabolism, and just makes you feel overall crappy. Yeah. Um, Astral ashwagandha and rhodiola rosea decrease stress and um, anxiety and we've both taken ashwagandha you've taken yeah. rhodiola, rhodiola before so taken totally. both of them as part of yeah. a regimen for adrenals so they're awesome ingredients yeah and then there's lion's mane and cordyceps mushrooms that boost your clarity and focus again just to kind of give you that extra boost throughout the day without buffing up your caffeine and preventing you from sleeping at night yeah so that steady energy stream is a healthier alternative. Um, plus, you're not getting all the sugar that you would if, for, if for me, if I have a coffee drink or a chai tea latte. There's yeah. tons of sugar in that, but not so with the little magic mind. It, it's about two ounces in a little yeah. bottle. You just shoot it. <laughs> I mean, I do. You can sip it if you want. You can put it on ice. You can drink it room temperature chill. I shoot it. Yeah. yeah. You can put it in smoothies. It's a great alternative, and it's so tasty. I can't even emphasize that enough. It really is. Um, but if you would like to um, try this, and we highly recommend that you do, you want to go to magicmind.co backslash bizarre. That's M-A-G-I-C-M-I-N-D dot co backslash B-I-Z-A-R-R-E. Darcy, we also have that discount code, right? Yeah, we do. So if you use this code, you can get 20% off a subscription. So this is the code is bizarre 20 B-I-Z-A-R-R-E-2-0. And we will put that into the show notes as well. Go check it out, people. Go to that website. Try it yourself. Like we, there's, You have nothing to lose. Yeah. It's such an awesome product. Okay. Um, 
We're going to talk about something that is a pretty controversial topic. I mean, anytime you talk about politics or religion, right? Those are the two hot button issues in the world today, right? Um, but the reason that this kind of came to my attention, and I've been looking at this, watching it. I came from a community back in Washington State that was heavy LDS. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't know a lot about FL, FLDS. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to talk about that today and Warren Jeffs in particular, because there is a new Netflix special out there called Keep Sweet, Pray and Obey. And it is a four part series that talks about FLDS and in particular Warren Jeffs and his father. And it is a wild story. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've had an opportunity to see the Netflix special. I watched the whole, I binge watched the entire thing because it was so fascinating. I, um, I had, I watched like the first episode when you and I started talking about it and then I binged the last three, I think two days ago. And yeah, it's, I mean, I have been. The ending was like, I was blown away. By I have ending. been fascinated by the FLDS since well before I even moved to California. And I remember like when I was leaving, when I was moving from San Diego to Louisville, I drove through the Arizona-Utah border, which we're gonna talk uh-huh. about, and it's the most amazing part of the country, I think. But um, on the other side of the Grand Canyon, on like the northwest corner of Arizona is this, is where this all takes place, what we're about to talk about. And I so badly but it's, wanted to drive through it, but it's so isolated, it's really hard to get to. and. It's not yeah. super friendly and to that's for a reason. but it's gorgeous yeah. down there. But uh, the FLDS church is basically the fundamentalist church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It is one of the Mormon denominations, and the members are very distinctive because they practice polygamy, despite the fact that it was renounced in the Second Manifesto of 1904. Okay, So polygamy is multiple marriages having multiple wives. Okay. Yes, and it's specifically having multiple wives is the form of polygamy that the FLDS practices. Right. And it's part of their... It's a fundamental part of their sect. Right, and, and it was part of mainstream Mormonism, but as things happen with religion and politics often seem to go hand in hand, once the United States of America ruled that polygamy was illegal, there was suddenly... Um, a message from God saying that polygamy is no longer part of the Mormon church. Right. So. Um, I think it's important to note that the FLDS church has been designated as a hate group. Yeah. And this is by the Southern Poverty Law Center because Warren Jeffs and certain members of the church have made very strong opinions clear about blacks, women, gays, etc. Um, they're, they've been called white supremacist, homophobic, anti-government, totalitarian, a cult, like a polygamous cult is one of the most common designations for the FLDS. The headquarters were originally located in what is known as Short Creek, Arizona, and that is on the southern border of Utah. And I think that's kind of what you were referring to, one of the areas that you were trying to drive through and check out. It eventually expanded into Utah and became incorporated um, in two mun- municipalities, Hilldale, Utah, mm-hmm. and Colorado City, Arizona. But the church also has a long-standing colony in bountiful British Columbia, which I didn't know about. So there's a lot of... The, there's a, so, okay. The thing about L- the fundamentalist LDS is once Mormonism, once polygamy became illegal, quote-unquote, with the church, there were all of these groups of people that said, 
we don't trust the law of the land. That's not, no, that's not who we abide by. Our religious deity, God, says that polygamy is the way to get to heaven. And so they practice the fundamentals, quote unquote, of Mormonism. And right. that's kind of how, but there's a lot and of offshoots. Plural, plural marriages being the top thing because they believe that the more wives a man has, the higher he will ascend through heaven. Yeah. And so they're, yeah, so they're in, they're in Canada, they're in Idaho, they're in South Dakota, they're in Utah, they're in They're Arizona, in El Dorado, Texas. They're in Mexico, they're in Texas. Yeah, there's a lot of these groups around. We're just specifically focusing on the community that is in the Colorado City, Hilldale, Short Creek area. Although we are going to talk a little bit about that yearning for Zion Ranch, which is in El Dorado, Texas. Yes. Yeah. Other newer church settlements have been around Pringle, South Dakota, and Mancos, Colorado. There's also a presence known in Minot, North Dakota, and Gran Marias, Minnesota. Mm. So the exact number of members of the FLDS church is not really known. Yeah. And that is, I think, largely a part because of the kind of cultish nature of FLDS, right? Yes. And they everything's very insular, and they don't... They don't exactly file records with the state. No. And they're estimated to have about 6,000 to 10,000 members in between the sister cities of Hilldale and Colorado City, mm-hmm. um, but also El Dorado. So th- I think that there's a very large movement to remain private and to mm-hmm. not do census and not pay taxes and, and a whole number of other things. And so it's hard to determine how many people are actually a part of that. But um, they have become mainstream to some degree because FLDS church members have sold airplane components to the U.S. Air Force and Defense Logistics Agency. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's a pretty big thing. They totaled more than $1.7 million in sales to the military and the government, which I thought yeah. was interesting. So let's talk a little bit about the origins. The residents of Hilldale and Colorado City, those twin sister cities, have a long history of polygamy practice, right? And this dates back to the mid-19th century. Now, there is not a specific one drop-down date as to what year this religion came to be. It's sort of guesstimated, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it was taught in the community that Brigham Young, the president of the LDS Church, which is kind of the larger overriding church that is still very much alive and present in Utah and around, right? Right. This is the main street. That- Mainstream Mormon church, yeah. So the mainstream Mormon church is like the big, big daddy in the center, and FLDS is like a little offshoot of that, right, or a cult off of that. That's how it started. It's kind of completely separate now, but like ecclesiastically, but it started as like an offshoot of mainstream, yeah. Right, and the Twin Cities were once known as Short Creek, Mm -hmm. which they say was founded around 1913 as a ranching community. Mm Mm-hmm. So they actually went to, they moved to Short Creek. They were based in Salt Lake City for a time Mm -hmm. after the manifesto. And then they felt like they were being persecuted. I mean, it's a a similar story to the Mormon church in terms of them leaving Missouri, Iowa, and, you know, going out to Utah, they fled persecution. Well, the fundamentalists fled persecution for plural marriage from the mainstream Mormon church, and they went down to a more isolated area. Which is Short Creek, right? Which is Short Creek, because if you look at a map, the Grand Canyon kind of cuts across the northwest corner of Arizona, and they're like... On the uh, like on the northwest side of the Grand Canyon, so th- it's really hard to get to that area. Yeah. It's not well, um, it's not like 
well populated. It's not um, there's not like major highways. Like you have to make an effort to actually get to that area. Right. And there's a reason. And right. that was the goal. Exactly. Yeah. So essentially, these folks that wanted to practice plural marriage settled into that Short Creek area. And in 1935, the main offshoot of the LDS Church excommunicated. Any of those residents of Short Creek who, who refused to sign an oath renouncing polygamy. Mm-hmm. After this, John Barlow began to lead a group of Mormon fundamentalists who were dedicated to preserving this plural marriage, right? Yeah. And this area over in Short Creek was thought to be ideal because it allowed them to avoid state raids by moving across the state line if they needed to, if they saw that somebody was coming. Right. But there are also others who say that this is kind of a misconception that the land where the property was, there was a priesthood council already there, and so it just was coincidental, not because they wanted to get away from raids. Take it for what you will. I think it it was a convenient, isolated area for them to settle in. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's definitely... and And they call it the Crick. Like, I don't know if you've ever heard of Southern slang, like people calling creeks Crick. Yeah. They call it the Crick. And so they just say, like... And they still call it the Crick. Yeah. Um... But, yeah, I mean, it was pretty clearly chosen yeah. because of its isolated nature. Yeah. Well, around the night, the early 1930s, in the early 1930s, the men that were part of this Mormon fundamentalist movement created this thing known as the Council of Friends. And it was a group of seven high priests that were said to be the governing priesthood body on earth. Which And this is like the... Twelve super, apostles in the traditional yeah, mainstream world, which seems super interesting. That they're like, "Hey, we're the priesthood body for the entire earth." Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and they were basically the governing body for the fundamentalists at Shore Creek. But there was a lot of contentious action during that time as well, and a lot of people offered differing interpretations and opinions as to how plural marriage should be practiced and how you know the church should be run. There's a lot of infighting within that. And there were a lot of different people claiming that they were receiving, quote, revelations from God. Right. And I believe that, like, a tenet of Mormonism is that, like, only the prophet can receive these revelations. Yeah. So whoever, whomever is receiving the revelation is then the prophet. So if, like, multiple people are doing it, they don't, it's a whole mess. So the previous leaders of this church... Leroy S. Johnson was the first major leader, and he was from, and again, they had this council of friends. So they had, until this point, they had really had the leadership spread out across a number of individuals. And then starting in about 1954, they had the head of the church, which allowed for a little bit more um, centralized control of the church by a single person rather than by a council of people. And they still had councils, but the leader of the church mm-hmm. starting out in about 1954 was Leroy Johnson. Then when he passed away at age 98 in 86, Rulon Jeffs took over and he was the leader from 1986 to 2002. After his death in 2002, Warren Jeffs took over. Yeah. And there was some debate and controversy because Warren was not the oldest son of Rulon Jeffs. No. Um, which, you know, typically you think in terms of the oldest son being the one to inherit the power. Like and the heir, them being, yeah. Yeah, them being trained and so forth. But that was not the case. Warren Jeffs was actually chosen to take over after his father passed away. 
but Warren Steed Jeffs was born December 3rd, 1955 to Rulon Jeffs and Marilyn Steed. He was born more than two months prematurely and he was born in Sacramento, California. So he was kind of this miracle baby to his family, right? Yes. So Rulon Jeffs became the president of the Fundamentalist Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in 1986. And at that time, he continued to pursue the concept of allowing plural marriages. And he had about 19 or 20 wives and about 60 kids. And again, we say that in that it's hard to kind of pinpoint the exact number because they didn't necessarily keep the most concise records on some of this stuff. Former church members, though, claim that Warren himself has had up to 87 wives. Yeah. He grew up outside of Salt Lake City, Utah, and served for about 20 years as the principal of a place called Alta Academy. And it was essentially an FLDS private Mm -hmm. school where they taught the generations coming up through the church how to be proper boys and girls, how to dress, how to think, how to worship, what to wear, how to do their hair. And what I thought was particularly interesting is around the time that Warren Jeffs took over and became the leader of the church, this became much more strict. Mm -hmm. The way uh, people could act, the way they dressed, and the way they wore their hair became very, very strict around the time that Warren came into leadership of the church. But he had been the principal of this school, the Alta Academy, when he turned 21, which seems odd, right? Like, that's really young to be a principal. And he was known for being a stickler for rules and discipline. And in the movie, um, Keep Sweet, Pray, and Obey, which is that Netflix special, it really talks about some of the concepts that that school taught Mm -hmm the generations within the school. And there, I think there's like eight hairstyles that women were yeah. told they could choose from as far as braiding and elaborate, you know, uh, keeping the hair in a certain way. And Yeah, so if we didn't say this earlier, but because I think we just assumed that you guys already knew, but if, you, if you're not sure, the Fundamental Saturday Saints, these are the people that dress in the prairie dress. The women wear long sleeve dresses and, and dresses with hems down to their ankles. They have very, they're not allowed to cut their hair. Um, the men have to wear like long johns under their clothes. They have to like, it's, it's all about modesty and covering your body. But the concept of wearing the long johns under the clothes did not come around until Warren right. Jeffs was a leader of the church either. Yeah. And at that point he really created this very strict regimen of you have to wear these underwear, Mm -hmm. these long underwear from your ankles to your neck underneath everything, which can you imagine how hot that was during the summer? In Arizona? No. And the women, the whole thing about not cutting your hair is so you are able to wash the feet of Jesus when he returns. I don't understand what having long hair has to do with that. You have to wash the feet of Jesus with your hair? Yeah. Oh, God. Okay. That's, that's that's, I mean, that's from the Bible. Okay. So. Interesting. In any case, Warren Jeff is this young 21-year-old guy who has become this sort of upstart. And his brothers and sisters and a lot of the different individuals of the church, after Rulon Jeffs passed away um, in 2002, are like, what in the heck is going on? Why would he put this person in charge? Because, number one, he wasn't really that popular. He wasn't that friendly. Mm -hmm. He wasn't charismatic the way people thought the leader should be and the way Rulon himself had been. So there was some shock when uh, Jeffs was groomed, when Warren Jeffs was groomed and put in charge of the church. 
And part of that too was he was doing because his father was incapacitated. He's had a stroke later in life. Yeah. And so Warren was the one taking care of his father and relaying the messages from the prophet. And so it was pretty easy for him to also say, I've been chosen as the next prophet. Immediately following his father's death, Jeff's pretty much said to everyone, hands off my dad's wives. So it's my understanding that in the early stages of the FLDS church, if a member passed away, the wives would be distributed through existing members and they would marry existing members so that the women would, and children would be taken care of and have new husbands mm-hmm. and new fathers. There right. was n- because to get to heaven, your husband has to invite you. Yes, and there was no such thing as a single woman or a divorced woman or any of that kind of stuff within this sect of the church. That, just was, that wasn't an option. Not going to heaven. Um, no. So, in any case, when his father passed away, Jeff's decided, the younger Jeff's, decided he was just going to take all the wives. Yep. And he began marrying them gradually and taking all their children as his own. With the exception of, I think there, was, there were one or two that said, I don't think so. Um, and that pushed very strenuously against there him. Were, yeah, there were a handful that didn't do it, but he definitely married some of his sister mothers. Which seems super creepy. And people in the church like a were, lot of them. were really upset because these were supposed yeah. to be his quote-unquote mothers. Even though they mm-hmm. weren't uh, genetically related to him, it's just weird, right? Yeah. And he basically told the wives, you women will live as if father is still alive in the next room, quote unquote. Yeah. So again, like I mentioned earlier, he married all of them but two. One of them flat out refused to marry Warren Jeffs and was subsequently prohibited from ever marrying again. She was um, really looked down upon for not marrying Warren Jeffs. And the other wife, Rebecca Wall, fled. Yeah. She was like later days and took off. I have her book. Yeah, she's an amazing, amazing woman. She was married to Rulon at 18. Yeah, just incredible, right? Yeah, when he was 85 or something like that. Can you imagine being an 18-year-old woman married to an 85-year-old man? It is just so creepy, no. I can't even. Um, yeah. Okay, so yeah. he then takes on one of Rulon's youngest wives. Her name was Naomi Jessup. And she became his favorite wife and his confidant. Um, And then at that time as well, Jeffs became the only one who was responsible for assigning wives to husbands and the authority to perform marriages. He was also the authority to discipline male church members by reassigning their wives, children, et cetera, to other homes and other men. So he gave himself that absolute power at that point. Right. And if you messed up in the FLDS, the prophet can reassign. Like yeah, that's he your would punishment basically is he reassigned your family. Kick you out and reassign your yeah. family. Take your kids, take your wives, give them to other men, and kick you out of the compound. Um, but until the courts in Utah intervened, in a, and it's something we're going to talk about in a little bit, Jeff's controlled almost all of the land in Colorado City, Arizona, and Hilldale, Utah. And it was part of a trust called the United Effort Plan, or the UEP. And the land was estimated to be worth over $100 million. But when all this stuff went down with Warren Jeffs, the Utah court system kind of took over the assets and put them in court custody. Um, And then as of November 2012, the court decided that much of the land was going to be sold to those who lived on it, which 
as part of that centralization of the FLDS church and sort of uh, cementing their position and their principles, no one owned the land they lived right. on. The church owned everything and they allowed the members to live there right. in houses owned by the church. So people didn't own anything nope. after Warren Jeffs took over. It became part of this trust. And again, he was really cracking down and very, very stiffly disciplining everyone there. Women were only allowed to wear certain colors. They were no longer allowed to wear red. They had to you know, wear their hair in certain ways. Uh, they weren't allowed to run around and have as much fun. They had to be more serious. And there was just a whole number of ways that Jeffs, that the younger Jeffs took over and began controlling the church. So I think some of this huge you know, controversy started in 2004 when Warren Jeffs expelled a group of about 20 men from the Short Creek community. Mm-hmm. And one of these men was the mayor. Yes. Yeah, so that's something we didn't, t- we haven't discussed yet. So the entire like city, like the entire government of, and, 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 and function of the city employees, they were all members of the church. So you have the police members of the church, you have the mayor member of the church, the mailman member of the church, everybody is a member of the church. So, the law of the U.S. Constitution isn't actually the law that they're following. The law that they're following is the FLDS laws. Yeah. Yeah. So essentially, he kicks out these 20 men, takes their wives and children, and passes them out to other men in the church who were thought to be better. So it's thought that these 20 men that were expelled were ones that didn't necessarily agree with Warren Jeff's principles mm-hmm. and the way he was running the church. They were the ones that were the dissenters. Right that had indicated that they didn't believe everything that Warren Jeffs was telling yeah. them. Um, like Jeffs had said, he was now a prophet and that he was giving word directly from God to the people of the church, yeah. which they had a problem and with. They, and he made, think, like, he made like owning a TV illegal. Like there was no outside yeah. entertainment. Yeah. Because that's, he took books out of the library. Yeah. Like before they had had a library with sort of a somewhat extensive um, catalog of books well, I mean, within reason, right? They weren't going to have sex and violence, and they weren't going to have, like, Catcher in the Rye. But they did have secular books, library. yeah. But they did have secular books, and after Warren Jeffs took over, they were only allowed certain things. They Certain pages of science textbooks were cut yeah. out. Um, they weren't allowed to learn about uh, procreation. They weren't allowed to learn about the uh, origins of the universe. They weren't allowed to learn about evolution. So, like, the books that were left were heavily kind of redacted. Yeah. So again, as we talked about earlier, Jeffs specifically taught and really pushed the fact that devoted church members are expected to have at least three wives in order to get into heaven. Mm -hmm. And the more wives that man has, the closer he will be to God in heaven. Yeah. Okay. So before his 2006 arrest, Jeffs was last seen January 1st, 2005, near El Dorado, Texas. There was a dedication ceremony at the large FLDS temple on the YFZ ranch. So do you want to talk a little bit about the YFZ ranch? Yeah. So I know sometime in the mid-aughts, he started, he bought land in El Dorado, Texas, which is down near the Mexican border, I think. It's a pretty, that's another pretty isolated area. And he started building a new temple and he called it the Yearning for Zion Temple. And Zion is like, that's the that's heaven for FLDS so he would then start bringing people kind of surreptitiously from Short Creek 
to Texas and say, like, you're going to Zion, you're going to Zion. But he was not taking, like, whole families. He was taking, like, kids from families and not letting their mothers go with them. And, like, he would take... Which was the controversy, right? Right. And so it... And outside people were not allowed to uh, enter the facility or go onto the property. They didn't... They didn't have any interaction with anybody in the town. They didn't get yeah. bothered to get to know anybody. And basically, they kind of just disrupted this super, super small town where everybody knows each other. Yeah. And what I thought was also particularly interesting about this time in the church is that Warren Jeffs, on multiple occasions, had said the world was going to end. Oh, yeah. And that, you know, on this date, it's going to end. And after the Olympics in Utah, the world is going to end. And they're going to, you know, our little community is going to become heaven. And we're going to be the only ones that are going to walk away from this. And we're the only ones that are going to be saved, et cetera, et cetera. Well, these time frames that he, keep men- that he kept mentioning would come and go. Right. And the people were like, well, what the heck is going on? And then he would just say, oh, oh, wait, wait. I had another vision. I had another, God spoke to me. And he told me, no, no, not yet. He needs to give more of us a chance to atone for our sins, to be better people, to, you know, lead our fellow men to the church and, and get more wives and become closer to heaven and so forth. Yeah, there's always so an, he would, sorry, go He ahead. always had an excuse. Yeah, there's always an easy out when you're talking about religion because then you can say, you, well, he, this didn't happen because you are not faithful enough. Yes, And he would use exactly. that a lot. So around this time period, um, around 2008, um, the police start getting calls from an anonymous caller who keeps drawing their attention to underage girls within the church who are supposedly married to older men and having children. Mm-hmm. So at that point in April of 20, uh, in April of 2008, Texas authorities conduct a raid and they take custody of about 415, 416 kids. Um, and again, this was a March 31st phone call that alleged physical and sexual abuse on the ranch, saying this is what they're doing. These people are bad. You need to go investigate. Well, they said that a, they said they said that the caller was a 16-year-old girl who had been married to a 50-year-old man at age 15 and was giving birth to his child. Okay, right. but when the police investigated, the residents of YFC Ranch said, "No, we never called. That there is no such girl." And ultimately, these calls were traced to a 33-year-old woman who was not part of the church. She was unconnected to the church. Her name was Rosita Swinton. Yeah, that was really And she'd bizarre. been known for repeated instances of filing false reports. Yeah. However, Texas, Texas authorities were like, we're just going to go ahead and investigate anyway, even though this was a hoax. Well... Which was somewhat controversial. Yes, because the, what they, they, they went in because of the phone call and they were conducting a child welfare check and they saw clear evidence of sexual abuse in that they saw like 14 girls women. pregnant. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that's, that's enough evidence. So they, so they raided the facility and took all of the kids out, all of them. They, the evidence for them going into the raid was the hoax phone call. We're right. both agreed on that. But, the, but what they saw when they got there was then more evidence to verify the information from the hoax phone call. But when they and questioned these women, how- which is the most interesting part of this whole thing, 
and say, do you know anything about underage marriages? Do you know about anything about women having sexual activity with older men underage and becoming pregnant? And you look at the, these women are on national television looking straight at the camera and saying, absolutely not, absolutely not. When there's actually pictures of these women at the bedside of mothers who are 14, 15 years old giving birth. Yeah. Which just yeah. blows my mind. Do they, are they in denial? Yeah. Have they just decided that they're going to lie to cover up? Have they been told the girls? Are, I, I just wonder how that plays out. And because as far as last time I checked, lying was considered a sin too, right? Yes, but again, they, they don't answer to the law, the government. Like that's a lesser law than God. So it doesn't matter that they lie to the government. It just matters that they don't lie to God. And in their belief system, as soon as a woman or a, as soon as a girl goes through puberty and is able to bear children, that is her purpose, and therefore yeah, she can be which married. Which is terrifying. And that again, that that primarily started with right. Warren Jeffs. It was primarily adult marriages with Rulon Jeffs. I just want to make that clear and. Part of the reason, I believe part of the reason that he fled the Arizona-Utah border for Texas is because they were already looking into him because he was, he was yep. the one arranging all of these marriages. They were he already the looking into him for conspiracy to commit rape of an underage child because he was, marry he was forcibly marrying these young girls to right. older and men. Again, it came to the authorities' attention because a former church member stepped forward, one of the young women who had left the compound had testified to the fact that she was underage and had been forced despite the fact that she went to Warren Jeffs and said I don't want to do this you don't make me mm -hmm. do this and he made her do it anyway okay mm -hmm. so at that point Warren Jeffs goes on the run and just flying in the wind no one knows where he is he's off the ranch and the children and the women who were suspected of being these minors and the, the children who were fruits of these relationships between minors and older men were returned after Texas court said, hey, there's not sufficient evidence that abuse happened when we removed them, so we have to return them, which was very controversial. Yes, because there, there were pregnant <clears throat> teenagers, like 15, 16-year-old girls who were pregnant, and that is obviously a result of sexual activity, but proving that they were raped by an adult male was difficult and all of the children were well cared for. Right. And it, it became a really bad PR situation for the state of Texas because- Oh, they went into high drive. Those women, the, the women that, yeah. that were part of that compound went on like USA Today and Good Morning America and you know, give us back our children. And yeah. there was a huge PR machine that happened during that time period to make it look like the Texas authorities had no grand work to pull these kids from that and that they were good mothers and no abuse was happening whatsoever. Right. No abuse or neglect or anything was happening. No rape, no abuse, no neglect. Right. Well, there was some word that in 2007, Jeffs renounced his role as the prophet of the church in conversations with his brother. But again, there's, you know, sort of some dispute about that as well. Um, what was also interesting to me was in July of 2004, Warren Jeffs' nephew filed a lawsuit alleging that Warren Jeffs had raped him. In the, comp in the FLDS compound in Salt Lake City in the late 1980s before he came to power. Mm -hmm. 
There was a memoir that was released as well called Lost Boy, which talks about incidents of child sexual abuse inflicted upon young boys by Jeffs and other family members um, when these boys were very young and also kicking these young boys out of the compound because they were competition for men yep. that wanted to have multiple wives, more multiple wives. Yeah, because as you have 13, 14-year-old young men growing up, the 13, 14-year-old girls are going to have crushes on them, and you can't have that when they have to be married to the 50- and 60-year-old men. Absolutely. So these boys were alleged to have committed some kind of sin that was unforgivable, so they were kicked out of the community, and there's actually a documentary I watched. I think it's just called Lost Boys. Um it's very interesting and they have no skills. Well, they had nowhere to go and no mm-hmm. support and like just these poor kids that just, yeah. they don't know what they did wrong. They just are, were kicked out. But the dam yeah. is starting to break around this time. And a bunch of young boys are claiming that Jeff, that Warren Jeffs and his brothers and other people within the community had abused and raped and sexually molested, etc. these young boys, as well as the young girls later. But um, in June 2005, Warren Jeffs was charged with uh, sexual assault of a minor and conspiracy to commit sexual misconduct with a minor Mm -hmm. for arranging the marriages. Um, This was the marriage between 14-year-old girl who came forward. Her name was Alyssa Wall. At the time, she was only known as Jane Doe um, because she was a very young girl and didn't want her name splashed about there, but she was married to her 19 year old cousin, Alan, which again, that's terrifying. Can you imagine? And she was, she's been very uh, forthcoming about that whole thing and saying how distraught she was by the idea of marrying her cousin and by the idea of marrying this person when she was 14 years old. And she had gone to Rulon Jeffs and begged him to let her wait. And Rulon Jeffs was actually sympathetic for her and kind of let it delay for a little while, but Warren Jeffs wasn't so much. And he essentially forced the marriage to go through. And this Alyssa alleges that her cousin often raped her and that she repeatedly miscarried. And she eventually left and took off and, and left the FLDS church. And this is when she was allowed to be brought in as this witness to help with a conviction against Warren Jeffs. But... In July of 2005, the following month, the Arizona Attorney General's office starts putting out wanted posters mm-hmm. with Warren Jeff's face, and he's on, like, the most wanted list, and they're offering $10,000 for information leading to his arrest and conviction. In October of that same year, the police arrest Warren Jeff's brother because he was suspected of harboring yeah. Warren Jeff's, and they had stopped him at a routine traffic stop in Pueblo County, Colorado, and they found about $150,000 worth of cash, prepaid debit cards, and personal records. So it's my understanding that during this time when Warren Jeffs was on the run, he was having church, the church members send him hundreds of thousands of dollars of cash. And at times they would put it in soup cans or tomato mm-hmm. cans and seal the top so police couldn't know yeah. that it was money being distributed to Warren Jeffs. And in the meantime, they were telling the church members that this money was going towards the um, YFC ranch. Right. Well, it was all, everything's for Zion. And I mean, they basically started like a community little GoFundMe and they were just sending him cash for him to be on the run. Like 
thousands and thousands of dollars from each yeah, family again, within that church. He's being persecuted by the government. It's not his fault. He's the prophet. They're trying to take down the prophet, so they have to... No, but they weren't even so knowing. A lot of church members did not think that they were supporting Warren Jeffs on the run. They were told they were giving that yeah. money to help build the YFC ranch. They didn't know the yeah. Warrens was even necessarily on the run, right? So at that point... Um, they had arrested Seth, and he said, I have no idea, I don't know about his whereabouts, blah, blah, blah. He was sentenced to three years probation and a $2,500 fine. So, like, mm-hmm. a, basically a slap on the wrist. Um, in April of 2006, Utah issues an arrest warrant for Jeffs on felony charges of accomplice rape of a teenage girl between 14 and 18 years old. That's mm-hmm. that Alyssa Wall charge. And then shortly after, May 6th, the FBI placed Jeff on its top 10, placed Jeffs on its top 10 most wanted fugitive Next- list. And they up that. I was going to say what? next to Osama bin Laden is Warren Jeffs. Isn't yeah. that crazy? And they offered a sixty thousand yeah. dollar reward for that, so they upped it. And then it was soon raised to hundred thousand um, dollars. And they were told that he was armed and dangerous, and that he would be traveling with a number of loyal and armed yeah. bodyguards. So June eighth, two thousand six, Jeffs goes back to Colorado City to perform more child bride marriages. And May two thousand eight. Um, uh, various websites start releasing images of Jeffs with two underage wives. One of them was 12 mm-hmm. years old. And he's celebrating their first wedding anniversaries in 2005 and 2006. So this part I find particularly interesting because during this time where he was on the run, it's said that he, was, he like went to Vegas and was staying at fancy hotels and getting massages and going to strip clubs and like doing all these really, really... Um, Sinful things, according to, like, the, the principles of mm-hmm. the FLDS church and, and what he was telling everyone was wrong. He was out doing those things and taking pictures of himself while doing that. Yeah, isn't that always how it works? And he was wearing, like, flip-flops and shorts and, like, just living it up, yeah. which I thought was just, like, fancy Cadillacs yeah. and, like, just traveling all over and, and just having a good old time. But police pull him over on August 28, 2006, around 9 o'clock. And they pulled over this Cadillac Escalade on an interstate in Clark County, Nevada. And the highway trooper, I'm sure this guy had no idea, you know, who this actually was in the car when he pulled it over. But it had temporary license plates on a red 2007 Cadillac Escalade, and they weren't visible. So they pull out the driver and the passenger in the front, and it's Naomi Jessup. And uh, and Warren Jeffs' brother Isaac. Um, and then in the back is Warren Jeffs eating a salad. <laughs> and he's got four computers, 16 cell phones, a bunch of disguises, wigs, sunglasses, and about $55,000 in cash. So something's up, right? Yeah. There's nothing innocent is going on right now with this, right? And Warren Jeffs' wife and brother are questioned and released. But they're like, ha-ha. We got this guy. And they immediately returned this guy to Utah to face the first, uh, the two first-degree felony charges of accomplice rape. So what's interesting about this as well is each one of these charges for this accomplice rape have an indeterminate penalty of five years to life in prison. Really? But Arizona prosecutors were next in line to try Jeffs, and they're like, ha we can't wait for our turn. And he was held in Washington County Jail, and they were waiting for that um, April 23, 2007 trial on the two counts of rape and the accomplice to his role in arranging the marriage between Alyssa Wall and her cousin, right? Mm-hmm. So 
there's some conflicting stuff here because Jeff's claims at this point when he's in the jail that he's no longer the head of the church. And I think there's yes. multiple reasons for this because he doesn't want people to take his stay in jail as any reason to leave the FLDS church because then they're not going to get, you know, the money from the members and the church is going to, you know, crumble and so forth. So <clears throat> I think at first he said, okay, I'm not the leader of the church anymore. I'm good. And it also kind of reads as a crisis of conscience. Right. Because he says that he is not the prophet because of things that he did in his past. Yeah. Are you going to talk about that? Uh, yeah, we're, we're going to talk about that. Okay. Um, super creepy. But you hear yeah. him, and you can actually, if you watch this documentary, you can see him, like, speaking. It's him speaking from prison. Because they record every phone conversation right. from jail. And if you don't know that, then you're a moron. Right. But he's speaking to his wives and, and family members and things from jail. And at first you hear him like, kind of whisper... I mean, this guy to me, like his voice is so monotone and so soft that it's like, it's hard to believe that he could be a leader of such a, a, a large organization, let alone I was this thinking movement. about this. He's so his... not, you know what I mean? He doesn't seem charismatic and, and a leader no, at all. He is not at all. His voice is, first of all, it's nasally, yeah. but then it's very soft and it's it like, sounds like... like so you basically it sounds like just telling them to the, do like, like have this. you ever used Calm or anything like that? Like one of those apps that tells you bedtime yes. stories? Yes. It's it so weird. It sounds like an adult bedtime story narration. Like there's no inflection. Everything is very soft. And he talks like this. It's, it's so creepy. Like it's so ro it's it's robotic and creepy. Yeah. It's, it's terrifying. So that's like that's how. And then he also sings. Yeah. Ugh. Which is upsetting. Um, okay, so then he's believed to be leading the church from jail. Um, and he starts doing... Right, he's like, take backs, take backs, yeah, I'm the prophet. Exactly. Um, yeah. And essentially he starts doing these hunger strikes. Yep. Um, but then May and July in 2007, he's indicted in Arizona on eight counts. And these include the sexual conduct with a minor and incest. And this is all before anything happened in Texas. Yeah. So Jeff's trial begins September 11th, 2007 in St. George, Utah. And he was actually housed in Utah's Purgatory Correctional Facility. And isn't that great? Uh, I thought that was the most ironic thing ever. Yeah. And he was in solitary confinement for pretty much the entire Had time. Been. I mean... He would have been, been killed. Seriously. Um, so when his trial started... He was found guilty on two counts of being an accomplice to rape. Mm -hmm. He was sentenced to prison for 10 years to life and started serving his sentence at the Utah State Prison. And again, there's like differing accounts on whether he's still the leader of the church at that point, and they, they kind of go back and forth. Um, but this goes all the way up to the Utah Supreme Court, and they cite deficient jury instructions, reverse his conviction, and order a new trial. They found that the trial judge should have told the jury that Jeff could not be convicted unless he intended for Alyssa Wall's husband to engage in non-consensual sex with her. So what I thought was interesting about this case, too, the part where they talk about uh, uh, Alyssa Wall, is that mm -hmm. they really painted her to be not the victim, but, like, they really went after her character. Oh, there's clips in this show of of Warren Jeff's attorneys being like, nothing happened without her consent. It only happened because she wanted it to happen. Which was so creepy. It's 
I mean, it's horrifying. Because attorneys now, like really good attorneys now, will say that that is never a good strategy. No. And they were just like grasping at straws. Yeah. Because there was nothing they could do here. I mean, I guess like if your audience is patriarchal society, religion, like maybe that does work. I don't know. I mean, it clearly didn't for him, but. Yeah. Well, in any case, she went on to write a book. Um, and I believe Reddit it's called too. Stolen Innocence, which yep. seems like it would be a really, really fascinating account. I think many of the members of that church have come out and written books about their experiences, and it's just absolutely astounding. So yeah. interesting. Um, and then he was scheduled to be tried in Arizona, and he entered a not guilty plea for that one. And this was related to sex charges from the, ama- the arranged marriages of three teenage girls to older men. So they transported him over to the Mojave County Jail to, for that trial, what, what year was that? This was in 2010. Okay, so... Oh, wait, no, 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 wait. Um, he entered a not guilty plea in 2008. Okay, so this was, a, like, while that's happening, the YFC raid is going on. So, yes. like, two separate and, things are happening. We'll talk about that in just a second. Yeah. Um, once we're done talking about his legal woes. Yeah. Um, but in June 2010, a state judge... At the request of the Mojave City or the Mojave County prosecutor, dismissed all charges with prejudice, saying that the Arizona victims the Arizona victims didn't want to testify anymore, mm. and he'd spent two years in jail waiting for that trial, and then they took him back to Utah. Right, um, back to purgatory. Yeah. So, and I think that they did that for a variety of reasons, and I think that there was some speculation that there was there were many more charges coming down the pike. Right. That they were just waiting for more evidence to come forward. But in August of 2011, Jeffs was convicted on two counts of child sexual assault and sentenced to life in prison. Um, He is in the Texas Department of Criminal Justice and will be eligible for parole in July of 2038. Um, In the meantime, Jeffs has tried to kill himself multiple times in prison. He's tried to hang himself. He's been on hunger strikes. Doctors and, and, and attorneys claim he's doing this for spiritual reasons. Sure. Um, they actually ordered at one point for him to be force-fed, um, and he's been taken to the medical center um, in on multiple occasions and put into medically-induced comas after excessive fasting. He also... Um, he also predicted... Sorry. He also predicted December 2012 right. the world would end before 2013 and called everyone to prepare. And I mentioned this earlier. He did the same thing multiple times. Um, this UEP, the trust with all the land, was taken over by Utah in 2005, and the judge handed it over to a community board, mostly composed of former sect members. In 2017, both the trust and Jeffs were sued by a woman alleging she was sexually abused by Jeff when she was a child. Jeffs allegedly suffered a mental breakdown in the summer of 2019. Um, this left him unfit to give a deposition in the sex abuse case against him. Attorneys uh, representing the trust contended that forcing him to testify would be futile. So current FLDS members continue to continue to consider Jeffs to be their leader and prophet who speaks to God and who has been wrongly convicted. Okay, let's take a step back and talk about that raid on the YFZ, right? You want to speak to that? Yes. So the YFZ raid was in 2008-ish, and that was the same time he was being charged in Arizona slash dropping the charges in Arizona slash being appealed process um, in Utah. And the part of the reason that Arizona dropped the charges was because what they found in the Texas raid was 
horrifying. I mean, I don't know another way to say it. But so they they go into they go into this temple, and they go to the fourth floor of this temple, and there is a room. Everything is white, stark white. The walls, the ceiling, the carpet. Yeah. So it, that's all. It's it's stark white, and then in the back of that room, it's like a little alcove room that's got a curtain for a door. There is a bed and it's not like it's it's probably like a twin bed if not even more narrow very so like, small yeah yeah so very small and this is where quote unquote ceremonies happen after marriage so this is where they consummate their marriage and make it holy in the form in the eyes of god supposedly um the thing is warren had a thing about recording himself. Ugh, this is so creepy. He this recorded... Is, were these video recordings or were they just, uh, like, tape recording of his voice? Just audio, is my understanding. Okay. I couldn't remember whether it was taped or record. I yeah. knew that you could hear his voice, and they actually play some of these recordings in the Keep Sweet, Pray, and Obey yeah. um, series, which it's terrifying when you hear him in these recordings. Yeah, so... In the recordings, there are, he's talking to his wives, plural, because they're all there together. He has just married a 14 year old, or maybe she was 12, I don't recall. She's very, very young, inappropriately young. He has just married her, and all of the wives are in the room watching them consummate this marriage. That means adult women are in the room watching this crime can you imagine how terrifying that would be if you were a 12 year old or a 14 year old or even an 18 year old it is audio recorded and he is telling them that in order to please god they have to know how to please him they have to know how to please each other he is basically he it's it's just it's disgusting and he's telling them to sexually assault themselves while he's sexually assaulting and raping a young girl yeah i mean it's just it's terrifying and so that is they play that audio recording in trial in Texas, and that is why he ends up with a life sentence in the state of Texas. And that's why Arizona dropped those charges, because they were like, you know what? You guys got this. this <laughs> we'll is a let monster. you take it from here. Yeah. Take it over the goal line. Yeah. And, um, and the other I- thing is Texas prison versus federal prison. Totally different ballgame. And he is... He is in isolation. He has been in isolation for his entire sentence. So he, Texas, wait, Texas prison is worse than federal prison? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so he's in isolation. He <laughs> he doesn't always, my understanding is he doesn't always get like that one hour outside of his cell. But he when he does, he doesn't, he just no. walks around like a fenced area outside. He does not interact with anybody else at the prison at all. Of course not. Because he thinks I he's think above it's all actually, of that probably punitive um which actually does make sense as to why he's been like had had a mental break and may not be fit to give a deposition because solitary confinement will do that to you uh-huh and so i don't feel bad for oh, him yeah. um, they've shown studies that have done that but i want to make it clear that when and i don't know if you already said this but when they raided that compound in addition to that room and all the recordings and whatnot there was an additional room with all the records that they found and the reason they found that is because one of the former wives of rulan jeffs and eliza and some other women were brought in ones that had escaped the compound were brought in to help the authorities 
because they couldn't find the records and they wanted, they knew they, were, they must have something out there. And these women knew about the record keeping and they knew there had to have been an area inside that church on the YFC compound where marriage records, birth records, and all that stuff was kept. And when they raided that compound, they found that room with all of that, which is even right. further evidence in addition to the recordings, in addition to all the other creepy yeah, stuff. Yeah, and, so. and there is a ledger of all the weddings he's performed back to the 90s of children with adult men and it's just it's disgusting so let's talk about where the flds is now because a lot of interesting things have happened since warren Jeffs has been in prison and by the way they still do like you said they still do treat him as a prophet they believe he's being persecuted they also believe he's president of the united states by the way which is weird right so the way things work in the flds and let, let's let's go to Short Creek. So first of all, in 1953, there was a raid in Short Creek. The Arizona state, the Arizona governor sent the state police in. This was supported by the mainstream Latter Day Saints Church to to confiscate and break up this community of polygamists because polygamy is against the law. And in the exact same way that the YFZ raid was a PR failure, the Short Creek raid was a PR failure because all of the press photo they invited the press to the Short Creek raid. And all of the press photos showed um, women carrying their children, being mothers. They literally walked into a group of people singing church hymns because the, the members of the community had been tipped off about this raid. So this Short Creek raid goes completely against everything that they thought was gonna happen. They didn't shut it down. And to get away from the stigma of being called Short Creek, that's when the community became the, the sister cities of Colorado City and Hilldale, Utah. Um, and so what they do is if they see somebody coming or if they see police officer, they just hop across the border and then they're out of their jurisdiction. The yeah. other thing that they do is, like you said, they had this UEP and the UEP owned everything. And what they would do is they would they would donate or tithe all of their money all of their earnings because they're allowed to work for gentiles and like the average population they are allowed to work and interact with them and that to make their money but they have to give all their money to the church and then the church then gives out money to the families so as, the church as needed quote unquote. yes based on need and that really ends up being based on who's popular who's a chosen one this that and the right. other who agrees with the most enthusiasm? Yes. So while Warren has been going through all these trials and in prison, the state of Arizona, I believe, is, or maybe it's federal because it's across state lines, I'm not sure, they are looking into the FLDS financial situation because you have all of these women who are not legally married because the men only can have one legal wife in the state's yeah. mind, right? So they have all these women right. who are listed as single mothers and they have eight children, eight plus children, and they apply for welfare. They get that yeah. welfare money and then they give it to the church and it goes into the big pot and then that gets redistributed throughout the town. So so basically the, the state and the, the federal government are funding yes. polygamy. And it is... And they're not paying taxes on anything. Correct. So they're not paying into the system. And I've heard, I tried to look this up, but I didn't know the right like buzzwords to look up. But I have heard that in the state of Utah, if you are continually, like, if your house is still undergoing construction, that you don't pay property taxes on it. 
And so I've heard that a lot of them are continually updating their houses so they don't have to pay property taxes, too. And how convenient when they get a new wife, they just build another wing for the new wife. Yes. And so their house will never yes. be finished. And so, yeah, exactly. It's, I don't know that that's true, but I tried to look it up to verify, but I have heard that. Um, it is a very hostile environment. Short Creek is a very hostile environment to outsiders. When they when people would from the outside from the outside world would go into Short Creek, they would be tailed very closely by quote, the quote unquote God squad. These are like the little bodyguards of the town. And I say little, these are the older men. They drive giant pickup trucks and they tail you, they tailgate you, they drive really close to you, they have tinted windows, they make you feel like you are in danger until you leave. And so it's very obvious that you're not welcome. And people, if people are on the streets when you enter the town, they immediately scatter. Um, They don't interact with anybody from the outside world. And um, that was all going on in the Twin Cities at the same time as YFC. And YFC is still actually, I believe, a functioning temple. Wow. Um, I know the majority of the people have fled either back to Colorado City or have gone to South Dakota or Idaho or Canada or Mexico. Um, But back to the welfare fraud thing. So this actually happened when we were in San Diego because I was like watching this show thinking like why did this all happen in 2008 i remember this happening when i was in san diego and i was in san diego from 2011 to 16 and the thing that happened in san diego is the welfare thing so they were looking into lyle jeffs who became kind of the leader of the community while while warren was in prison they were looking into him for welfare fraud and he went on the lam they actually had him he was sentenced to house arrest and he slipped off his ankle monitor and went on the lam. Well, that's fine. right. And then um, one of his brothers claimed that, or no, his lawyer claimed that he couldn't show up to trial because he was raptured, and that's why we couldn't. That's why they couldn't find oh him. Oh my god! Yeah. Seriously. So that was a really fun thing. But so um, this is the FLDS is fascinating for so many reasons, and this is just literally this is just one group. Let's let's not forget. Two things. Number one, basically, they think that homosexuality is the same as murder, basically. They say it's the next worst evil act you can do next to murder. Yeah. And number two, they're so racist that they don't believe, they believe that black people don't go to heaven and that if you marry a black person, you can't go to heaven either. Or if you have any black blood at all, you can't go right. to heaven. Right, so I am illegal in that yeah. FLDS church. So, it's crazy. Yeah. It's absolutely and that, crazy, that is, which it, is why they're considered a cult and a racist And those are also, I don't know about the homosexuality, that probably goes back a little bit further, but I know specifically the racist stuff is Warren's doing. It was, that, those were not things that were taught. I mean, the Mormon church has its own issues with race, but it's gotten better, but... Yeah, but to say that someone who's gay is basically no, no, no. the same as I'm, them murdering someone is just unbelievable to me, too. Right. Like, uh, <laughs> Wow. So again, that's just one little group of the fundamentalists. There are so many more, and this show keeps we pray and obey. And then there's also a show on Hulu called Under the Banner of Heaven, which is based off a John Krakauer book, that is based off yeah. another group in Utah, who their leader told them to commit murder to a uh, for another sect because they had to do. Um, this other sect had committed a sin so awful that the only way to make up for it was through blood atonement, which is where you have to die. And the, there are people that say that, that the Jeffs were ordering atonements yeah. in the church and having people killed because there were a lot of deaths. Yeah. 
during this time period as well. There were accidents, yeah. quote unquote. And um, so it's just so it's so very fascinating. Even just the title of the movie and the where that came to be and how Rulon Jeffs thought all women, you know, starting from the time they were old enough to understand the concept, should be very sweet and docile mm-hmm. and obedient and you just pray and, and keep your head down and always be just as sweet. I mean, he even had it on the bottom of his shoes. Yes. I mean, and, and, and put into brick on the side of his house, this whole concept of keeping Keep sweet, sweet is just, like it, the, the words, ugh. the combination of words makes me like cringe. It's so awful. It does. And have you heard the new thing about the seed bearers? Okay. Yeah. So there what are people that are, that believe Warren Jeffs is now trying to create a master race only loyal to him because Men and women, husband and wife in the FLDS church in Colorado City are no longer allowed to just have sexual relations with each other. What? Nope. The only people that are allowed to procreate are a group of men that are chosen as the seed bearers. And Wait, where did you hear this? This is, I just looked it up yesterday. Oh my God. Yeah, I'll send it to you. Um, Warren has, has decreed the, this group of men the seed bearers, and they're the only ones that are allowed to procreate. And it is believed that these are all men that are extremely loyal to Warren Jeffs. And the men have to hold their wives' hands while they are having sex with the seed bearer to procreate. And they, the, the, yeah, and the seed bearer So that is implies that the men who are the husbands are in the same room while their wife is... Holding their hand. ...doing this weird, barbaric, uh, and they, yes. handmaiden's tale-ish. And they use... They cover the bodies with sheets so that they maintain the modesty. And they also cover the seed bearer's head so that you don't know who the seed bearer is. Wow. That's pretty So that's the new... That's like some kind of movie. That's like some kind of weird fictional movie like The Handmaiden's Tale. Yeah. So that's that's the new thing that's going on. So they believe that Warren Jeffs is um, trying to create a new master race of people subservient to him. They still believe he's going to get out. They still they pray every day for the destruction of the world so that he could be released from prison. I mean, it's it's very Jonestown like and it has that. Oh, yeah, it has it it smacks of it does. And it in the sense where it kind of feels like it's getting to the mass suicide point yeah and that's very scary because at first it was like these are weird like whatever they're you know whatever floats your boat that's weird and then rulon jeffs dies and it becomes an entire organized crime enterprise basically a a, a christian mafia basically um and i just want to make it clear that in no way does this reflect on christian religion in no way does this reflect on the lds church itself this is an offshoot. This doesn't even reflect on most mon- fundamentalist Mormons. It's an offshoot that is not in line with the principles of the church or the religion that has just gone off yeah. and gone rogue. And yeah, even within the, the the fundamentalist movement, this is specifically... Extreme. This is very extreme. Very extreme, yes. And like I said, there is another sect that has committed murder because of blood atonement. You can watch that show, Under the Banner of Heaven. That's a crazy book. I haven't watched the show yet, but... There's a lot of books out there from survivors, and um, we can probably post a lot of those pictures. And let's talk about the the, the thing about the color red, because you kind of mentioned it, but we didn't they really get into it. They were banned from wearing the color red after Warren Jeffs came to power, and I'm not really clear on why that is red. So it's actually because he said that when Jesus came back, he was going to come back in red, so nobody else was allowed to wear red, because wow. that was for Jesus. 
Interesting. So when he's arrested in a red Escalade. Oh, so they put a whole connotation on that, huh? Yeah. Things start to fall apart for a lot of people because they're like, wait, 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 wait. How is it that the prophet gets to ride around in a red Escalade and do all of these things? And Rebecca Musser, when she testified at the trial in Texas, she wore red for her trial. And her book is called She Wore Red or The Lady Wore Red or something like that. Um, it's very good. Fascinating. Very, very yes. fascinating. So if you have the opportunity to go check out that Netflix special, yeah. go watch it. It is so interesting. Yes. And interestingly, the town of the, like Short Creek now is kind of going through a little bit of a civil war because you have a lot of the people who have been excommunicated. They're apostates. Right. They are moving back to the city because when you get kicked out of the church, your family stops communicating with you. You lose contact with your family. You are, they are no longer allowed to talk to you. So a lot of what, after Warren Jess went to prison, a lot of apostates moved back to town to try and reestablish relationships with their biological children. Like, yeah. And with the state of Utah taking over the UEP, they're basically giving the property back to these apostates who now own their land. So now you have a group of apostates who are against the FLDS, and then you have the members of the FLDS that are still in the in the church, and they are now all living together in this tiny little town of Short Creek, which is like 10,000 people across the border of Utah and Arizona, like you said, and it is becoming a very difficult living situation for them oh, because I can imagine. when the FLDS runs the entire city, there are stores that the apostates can't go to. There's no grocery stores. There are no schools. They, they literally don't have resources because they're not allowed to shop there yeah. or go in there. So it's short Creek is, I mean, I could talk about FLDS for weeks. Like it's just, it's, it's fascinating. So in any case, very, very interesting stuff. Let's go ahead and wrap the episode up. Um, there have been no proven cases of murder in this, but when you have the FLDS church being the police in the areas, is that really the, all that surprising? Right. They're not going to investigate. They're not going to take the crime scene seriously. They're not going to, like, file paperwork for that yeah. if they're all part of that same network of people. So. And the other thing, we, sorry, that we didn't talk about, I just have to mention it again, is when when they had their school, and now they all homeschool and have a private private school and all of this, but when they had their school, they were not the learning. The Alta Academy? Yeah. They were not learning, like, traditional. No math and science and. Cur- and curriculum. Yeah. No. They were learning FODS specific so they did not so when you have these lost boys or when you have these young women who are getting out in the apostates they don't have any life skills they've never they don't know how to balance a checkbook they don't know how to pay for things they don't know how to grocery shop they don't they don't know how to open a bank account like they they don't know how to do anything so it is a very difficult time a lot that's what the the movie the, the documentary lost boys is about is how these boys are these young men are adapting yeah. to being kicked out without family and without any life skills and i mean it's just so it's like it's fascinating on so many levels because of the crimes because of the the the, the sexual crimes and their how they claim that it is a freedom of religion and they are being persecuted against their First Amendment rights, which is what they say, right? Yeah. And then there's also the, the massive welfare fraud <laughs> that they're committing 
And it's and you know to your point earlier, the underage marriages really weren't so much a thing until Warren Jeffs yeah. became the leader of the church. But I still find it it exceedingly gross when an eighty five year old man is marrying an eighteen year old, nineteen year old, twenty year old right. woman. There's no reason something like that should have to no. take place. And you hear the stories from these poor women. They interview them on TV, and they're just like repulsed by this guy. Yeah. I mean, he was. An 85-year-old man. They wanted nothing to right. do with this, but they were forced into this marriage. And so you hear stories about some of the women just like doing everything they could to avoid any kind of physical contact with this man mm-hmm. and to avoid doing their quote-unquote wifely duties because it's an 85-year-old man and they're a young, healthy woman. And this is kind of, I mean, this is pretty similar to a lot of other religions and a lot of other sects within religions that women don't have any autonomy. They're told to do what they want. They're subservient. The only way the women can get into heaven is by being invited by their husband. Like, that's yeah. the tenet of, FL, of one of the, the FLDS tenets. So, like, they, there, there is no independent women earning their own money, having their no own... No leaders in the church. No. No, you know, doctors, They can't lawyers, make their whatever. own decisions. No. It's all... They all have to go through the prophet. And originally, the prophet, Rulon Jeffs, seemed to have their best interests in mind kind of i think he was a little bit more compassionate he was yeah to certain and warren is just straight up a psychopath yeah well i i mean there's varying opinions on that but yeah he's uh, he he just went kind of off the deep end when it came to uh figuring out church principles and determining how the religion was going to be run after a certain point yeah and he basically anyone that dissented would be kicked out and so there was every reason for people to keep their mouth shut exactly but anyway if you have any questions comments or suggestions you can shoot us an email we're at the bfd podcast at gmail.com and you can check out our instagram what's that at dars yeah we are at the bfd podcast and there are so many pictures and links and things that we can put up on instagram for this one because boy oh boy i literally have read i think every book that has come out from the short creek community and from a private investigator who has written about them. Like, it's just, there's so much information out there, you oh, guys. Yeah. There's a wealth. Um, please join us again next week when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild cases. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe, keep it real, and always live your very best life. And remember, keep S- sweet. Keep sweet. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye, guys. <laughs>